Thank you, Pastor. Such an honor to get to worship with you, Julie. My wife is here with me today, and just an honor to get to, to sing praises. And there's something about the people of God singing praises to God that's powerful. And uh, there, as we were singing that rendition of that great hymn of our faith, and, and when the music kind of faded down and just the voices of I Surrender All, what a powerful time just to get to say that to our Lord and to lift up His name. It is an honor to get to be with you today. It's an honor to serve through the ministry of Oklahoma Baptist Homes for Children. And, and I do want to say thank you for being such a faithful partner in the work of the ministry. We, we can recognize tangible things like how much money someone gives, but we cannot say thank you enough for the way intangibly that you serve through what we do. Uh, for the opportunities so many of our residents who who live just south of here are ministered to by this church family every week and the way that I know that people from this church family volunteer through what we do through our Hope Pregnancy Centers, not only on our South Center, but also make sure that, that our mobile unit is able to go out and so effectively do the work that it does. And so we, let me just say thank you. And it's an honor to get to open God's Word with you today. And I want to ask you if you have access to a copy of God's Word that you would join me in Psalm chapter 27. This, um, this passage of Scripture has become very powerful in my life. In fact, God used a, a verse in this to affirm, to confirm in my life His direction and His calling towards the role that, that I get the privilege of walking in today. You know, um, in, in 1902, October of that year, a, a gentleman named J.A. Scott, who was then the pastor of the Washington Avenue Baptist Church, which is no longer in existence, would be close to downtown Oklahoma City today, he stood up at the Oklahoma Territory Baptist Convention and made a motion that the moderator appoint a committee to study the propriety of establishing a Baptist orphan's home in Oklahoma. And the response to that is the most Baptist thing I've ever heard of in my life. They, they appointed him a committee of one, elected him the superintendent of the orphanage, and didn't give him a dollar to do the work with. Isn't that the most Baptist thing you've ever heard of? And, and now for over 120 consecutive years, the longest continuous cooperative work in Baptist life in Oklahoma we now call it Oklahoma Baptist Homes for Children. And so as I started to go through the process of interviewing and, and moving towards becoming the president, one of the things that I had the opportunity to do, because of our history, we have a lot of that recorded. And I had the opportunity to, to read a little book that was written on the 75th, the Diamond Jubilee anniversary of this work in Oklahoma in 1978. And, and as I was reading that, there was something in the introduction that caught my attention. Some of you who've been Baptist a long time like I have will recognize the name Dr. Lowell Milburn. And, and during the 70s and the 80s, Dr. Milburn led the, the work that we now call Oklahoma Baptist Homes for Children. And uh, as he wrote in his introduction to the book, he quoted Psalm 2710. And he quoted it in the King James, which says, when my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. And after that, he made this statement that
that the Lord used to capture my heart. He said, I believe God has called the Baptist of Oklahoma to take up the children in need in our state. And, and the Lord just resonated in my heart that conviction that God is still calling today His people to be a part of meeting the needs of those in our state. And so the way that I look at Scripture is I didn't want to just pull, we've got a lot of bad theology in the world today where somebody's pulled one verse out of something, right? And so I did a deep dive in Psalm 27 and spent a lot of time reading and meditating on this great passage of Scripture. It's, it's a Psalm of David. And, and most believe that it was written while David was probably running from Saul. He's hiding in the caves. And, and you see in this Psalm the the diversity or the discrepancy or the natural division that happens in someone's heart when they're in a state of flux. On one hand, David starts the psalm by saying, The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, whom shall I be afraid? And through the first six verses of this psalm, we might say David's on the mountaintop. He, he's enjoying the blessing of the Lord. Psalm 27, 4 has become one of my favorite verses. It says, one thing I ask for, one thing I desire, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that I might look upon his goodness while I stand in his holy place. And, and David is just pouring out his heart in joy and praise to the Lord. And then in verse 7, it all changes. So much so that some biblical scholars have said, that maybe two different people wrote these psalms. That maybe two different people wrote verse 1 through 6 and verse 7 through 14. And I'm going to tell you what I say to those scholars. They don't know me very well. Because I can go from the top of the mountain to the bottom of the valley, usually maybe with one text message or phone call. David goes from this great place of confidence to cowardice. He goes from this great place of expressing his trust in the Lord to trembling. And we know the reason why that's true. Faith and fear live next door to each other. And how we respond, where we turn is so vitally important. If you, if you need a, a sermon outline and title today, here's the title. Where do I turn? And I want us to look at a couple of verses to set the stage the last of those being verse 10 but where I want to really spend the time this morning is I want to spend the time in the verses that follow verse 10 we see as this passage unfolds in, in verses 9 and 10 that David has come to a place where he senses rejection in his life he feels like first that he's being rejected by his eternal father. Listen to verse 9. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. That word there, forsake, we probably know from the context of when Jesus quoted Psalm 22, 1 on the cross when he said, My God, my God, 
Why have you forsaken me? It's a word that means to abandon or reject or to turn one's back on. David is crying out to his eternal father saying, don't forsake me. Don't reject me. But, it, but it's not only his eternal father. He feels that way about his earthly family. Verse 10 that I quoted a moment ago here in the ESV says, For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. We don't know a lot from Old Testament history about David's family. We know that he was the son of Jesse. We know that he was the youngest of those sons. We know that when Samuel came down to anoint a king, that even his dad didn't think he was the king. But Jesse, who is the grandson of Ruth the Moabitess, is called to the cave of Adullam in 1 Samuel 22. And there David takes them down to Moab. And the last reference we see in the Old Testament to David's family is in 1 Samuel 22. We don't know if David ever saw them again. We don't know if they died in Moab. We don't know if maybe they turned their back on him. But we do know that David has this sense that the people in his life that should be the closest physically to him, he feels like they've forsaken him. I think the hinge that turns this passage is at the end of verse 10. Listen to what David says. I think he's starting to come out of this valley that he's in. But the Lord will take me in. He turns to the Lord. And in the verses that follow, we see what he turns to him for. So let me show you quickly. Now, I, I've been preaching a long time, and I know that people who listen to sermons are really smart. So I've got a two-point sermon, but each point has two sub-points. And some of you are doing the math. You're thinking this is either a four-point or a six-point sermon. And you're right. And some of you are nervous. But I've been standing between people and eating all of my adult life. So I'm going to try to do what I do quickly, all right? Look at verses 11 and 12 with me. And the first thing I want you to see is, is I want you to notice the call that David makes. He calls out to the Lord. Verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord. And lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. Now, as you look at this passage and you see David calling out, he is calling out to the Lord for, I believe, a couple of very clear things. In verse 11, we see him calling out to the Lord for direction. No notice what it says again. Teach me your way, O Lord and lead me on a level path now that language sounds very familiar if you've done much reading in the old testament in fact a, a verse of scripture that some of you may have on some kind of a, a wall hanging in your house proverbs 3 5 and 6 trust in the lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and you remember the last phrase and he will direct, some translations say make straight, some translations say he will guide your path. What we find is, is that 
David is crying out to the Lord and saying, Lord, I know that you're the one who can give me direction. I know that you're the one that can show me which way to go. And he's not asking the Lord to remove every obstacle. He's asking him to show him the right path to take. He's asking him to make the way level or as smooth as possible for him. Here's the image that comes to my mind. Owen and I share in common the fact that we grew up in rural southwest Oklahoma. And uh, when you grow up in rural southwest Oklahoma, you have driven down a lot of dirt country roads in your lifetime. And even some of the paved roads out there have hazards on them. You know, I, I saw a bumper sticker on a car the other day that says, I'm not drunk, I'm just avoiding the potholes. You ever had a feeling like that? And, and when you're going down a country road, especially at night, it's really helpful if you've got somebody in the car with you who's driven down that road before. Because they can tell you, now when we get up here a little ways, you need to get over a little bit. Why? Because they know where the rocks are, or they know where the holes are, or they know where maybe the side of the road's been washed out. Our Lord knows our path perfectly. And as we walk with Him, He guides us, and He moves us over, slows us down, speeds us up, when we walk closely with Him. We call on the Lord for direction. Now, notice the second thing that He calls for. He calls on the Lord, starting really at the end of verse 11 and end of verse 12, for deliverance. You see here him introducing the idea of his enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. Isn't it interesting that if our enemy can't hurt us with weapons, he'll use words? The great English preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon said that slander is one of the great weapons in the armory of hell still often in use today. Our enemy wants to destroy us and discourage us. I had the opportunity as a boy to grow up with my maternal great-grandmother in our home a lot with us. And she was born before the turn of the last century, and she had all of these great old country sayings. You know, we, we were sitting outside a few months ago and drinking coffee on our Saturday morning, and it was raining, and the sun was shining off on the east. And my, my grandma would have said the devil's whooping his wife when that happened. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> but, it's fun. but she said stuff like that all the time. And you know what? That little sweet lady when I was a boy told me, she called me Jimmy. She said, Jimmy, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you. Do you know what that little sweet lady did to me? She lied. <laughs> she just flat lied to me. I've healed up from some sticks and stones, but I've still got some deep pain from some words. Can, can I tell you that we don't have enemies, we have an enemy? People are not our enemies. People are sinners in need of a Savior just like we are, amen? We have an enemy. In fact, the Bible says 
that we don't battle against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities. And please hear this. Our enemy has no good desire for us. Young people, older children in the room, please hear this. Our enemy always tries to get us to go as far as we'll go. But at the end of that is always pain and is always sorrow and is always shame. Our enemy wants to destroy us. But praise the Lord, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We can overcome our enemy. David calls out for direction and he calls out for deliverance. Now, notice in the next verses, verse 13 and 14, that we not only see David's call, but we see his confidence. Listen to these words. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. If at the end of verse 10, David is starting to have a change in his mindset, he's now coming fully up out of the valley. And he expresses his confidence in the Lord. And that confidence, I think, is seen in two areas. If, if you want to take the word confidence and change it to the word faith. And faith, I believe, has two components to it in our life. There's a trust element and a time element. Trust is that where I'm saying I'm full confidence. You, you've heard all the analogies. When you, when you get on an airplane, you have faith in that airplane that it's going to take off and land. When you came in and sat in the chair, you had faith that because you had confidence in that. The trust element. And we see here that in verse 13, David is bringing the trust element back into focus. Listen to his words again. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That's a statement of confidence. That's a statement of certainty. He is saying, I believe, I have confidence. In fact, it, notice the, it's in the land of the living is followed by an exclamation point. He's making a a declarative statement I believe that I will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living and for David that brings a great sense of security and certainty to his life one of the things that I get to do a lot of in this role is I get asked to travel around and speak whether it's on a Sunday morning like this but I've, I've been asked to go to some camps and this summer I was out at uh, a camp, Camp Gibson in Hardesty, Oklahoma, that the Panhandle Association has their children's camp at. And, and so I, I get in there, and by the way, when you ask children questions publicly, it is a dangerous thing. And so I asked the boys and girls, I said, tell me something that, that every child needs. And, and I got Sunday school answers. You, you know what Sunday school answers are? It's like the, the teacher who asks the boys and girls in the class, can you tell me what's brown and has a bushy tail and, and lives in a tree and likes nuts? And there was this awkward silence. And finally, one of the boys said, teacher, I know the answer is Jesus, but that sounds like a squirrel. <laughs> so you have Sunday school answers, which are like Jesus or pray about it or read your Bible, right? Some people think that's all the answers. So I got those kind of answers. 
And then I got some really honest, practical answers. A cell phone. New Nike tennis shoes. Finally, there was a little boy back towards the back who raised his hand kind of sheepishly, and I called on him. And he said, they need a roof over their head and food on a table. His pastor afterwards came up and he said, you know why he said that? I said, no, I don't. He said, just a few months ago, he didn't have either one of those. Every human being needs some basic security in their life, right? It's one of the great needs of our life. Just have some basic needs met. One of the things that, that we're all about in our world is because of, of people needing not only to have the love of Jesus shared with them, they need it showed to them. One of the tangible ways we do that is by meeting some of those basic needs because without that security, it's hard to be who God wants us to be. We see here that David says, I'm confident, and it gives security. I believe I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now, look at the last thing. Everybody's a little nervous as long as you thought my sermon was going to be that I'm to the last point. You're encouraged by that, but let me just tell you, I don't know if I'm about done or not. Preaching's a lot like going on an airplane ride. You know when you take off, but there are a lot of factors in the air that can determine when you land. You guys have helped the headwind today, though. I appreciate that. It's not only a confidence that for David secures him, but it strengthens him. And as you look at verse 14, you see a very common Old Testament wisdom, poetry, usage. Notice the verse begins and ends with the same phrase. Wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. If you will, you might call this a wait sandwich. In the middle, you see this statement. Be strong and let your heart take courage and if in verse 13 David is bringing the trust element of confidence back into focus in verse 14 he's bringing the time element of confidence or faith back into focus you say well James why is this important because one of the great enemies of our faith is our ability to wait on the Lord Most of us pray like this, Lord, make me patient and make me patient now. Uh, Only in the United States can a fast food restaurant and a fast weight loss clinic be side by side in the same strip mall. We, we, We live in this microwave instant society. And God shaping us into who he wants us to be takes time. And faith is is played out not in a moment but in a season of our life. In fact, if if we want to know if somebody's faithful, don't listen to them in a morning. Watch them over the season of their life. That's the testimony of faithfulness. And here we see David saying, wait on the Lord. It's another beautiful word in the language of Scripture. It's a picture it's the picture of the, of the wrapping of strands or the making of a rope. 
It's the picture that we see Solomon used in Ecclesiastes 4 when he says that a, that a rope of three stands is not easily broken. Talking about the strength and the relationships that we have as the people of God. It's the same picture that we see, in fact, the very same word that we find in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will walk and not grow weary. They will, run, they will walk and not faint. They run and not grow weary. And they will walk and not faint, right? They will mount up with wings like eagles. You see the idea of us taking our weakness and our struggle and wrapping it around the strength of the person and the power of the Lord. And that's where our strength in our life comes from. One of the great challenges that we often have, church, is that we count on our own strength and our own sufficiency. I think one of the things that makes being an Oki a great thing is we're, we're pretty resilient people. We're we just tough. We've been blown by the wind one way and then the other, right? And we've experienced good times and bad times and we've stayed together. But one of the great dangers of that is instead of trusting in the Lord, we trust in what we can do. Instead of turning to Him, we turn to our own strength and our own sufficiency. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. We are called to wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Now look at what it says in the middle of that wait sandwich. Be strong and let your heart take courage. I love these ideas together. Waiting and having strength. We often in our culture see waiting as weakness. He's not doing anything. Why don't they do something? But when we wait on the Lord, we are at a place where His strength gives us courage to follow when He says it's time to move. This reminds me of another great Old Testament passage. At the end of the book of Deuteronomy, we have this very short record of the death of Moses. And the book that follows that is the book of Joshua. And that book begins by the simple statement, the Lord makes to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Joshua had been prepared by Moses. He had walked with him. He had been his general in the battles. He had walked beside him. But the challenge of what Joshua was getting ready to step into was the challenge of everyone that was left except Joshua and Caleb only knew Moses as their leader. All of the generation that had passed out of Egypt except them was gone. And here Joshua is going to lead these people 
for the first time into the promised land. They, they were going to face the challenge of the untamed Jordan River. It was at flood stage. They were going to chase, uh, face the challenge of the unknown of this land that they had heard Joshua and Caleb and the other spies talk about, maybe as children. They were going to face what they knew, and that is there were enemies there, there were giants in the land, they were in this great walled cities, and yet they were to go forward. And three times in that first chapter of Joshua, Joshua was told, be strong and of good courage. We face really uncertain days. There are a lot of people who have questions about the future. By the way, that hasn't changed, and it's not going to until the Lord returns. And when we're faced with the uncertainty, there's really only one place for us to turn. Wait on the Lord. Be strong and of good courage. Wait on the Lord. Here's the temptation. We will either turn to our own strength and sufficiency, or we will turn to things that distract us from following the Lord. You see, while we're waiting, we're not passive. We're focusing on the Lord. But what happens is, while we wait, we can become distracted by the things of this world. And people turn to all kinds of things to find hope, to find help. And all of those things leave them hopeless and helpless. And at the end of it, it's not enough. And usually the old preacher used to say this, sin will take us farther than we want to go, keep us longer than we want to stay, and cost us more than we want to pay. And at the end of that is the price. The question I think we need to answer is where do we turn? Do we turn to the things of this world? Do we turn to the strength that we have? Or do we turn to the only place where there's truly help and hope? Do we live out Psalm 27, 14? Wait for the Lord. Be strong and of good courage. Wait for the Lord. I want to ask you if you would to bow your heads with me for a moment of prayer. And as, as we come to a time of response, can I tell you there's really only one place to turn? There may be a lot of places where people turn, but the only place where you can find what you need is to turn to the Lord.
Have you turned to Him as the Lord and Savior of your life? The Bible's very clear. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one righteous, not even one. But God demonstrated His love to us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That if we will turn in repentance from our sin and trust believing in Jesus Christ, we can be saved. If you've not turned to the Lord as the Savior and Lord of your life, will you come to Him today? Oh, dear brother and sister in Christ, so easy for us to get caught in the trap. So easy for us to become self-sufficient. It's so easy for us to be drawn away into those things that would bring us to a place where we need the Lord. Will you turn to Him today? He is our source of security and strength. Lord, thank You for the truth of Your Word. Thank You for the privilege of sharing it with Your people today. Lord, my prayer is in these moments as we respond to Your Word this morning, that you would use this time for your purpose. Lord, I pray maybe just for one or two people in this place who today need to come to you. Your spirit has been stirring in their heart. The gospel call is in their ears. Lord, I pray that they would be strong and of good courage today. Lord, I pray for my brother, my sister today. Who is depending on things and people instead of trusting in you. Lord, I pray you would renew their strength as they wait on you today. Use these moments, Lord. Be honored in them. In Jesus' name, amen.